Welcome to the Couch GM Podcast. We're doing another another live podcast this week, talking all things college football. Real quickly, um, if you're watching this live, you might be joining us while the Mariner game is going on. If you're listening to the replay, then the Mariners, you know, played last night. Um, I have a quick announcement. The Mariners just just got their first lead since last Wednesday. They're trying as hey. hard as they can to ghost ride this off the cliff, but they're coming back right now against the Astros, so we might be turning things around. Thank God. Thank God. I think you have to go undefeated the rest of the way. I really do. Um, because even if you, you know, you win the next two, you're only up a half game against Houston. I know you got the extra game that Houston doesn't get, but you have to assume that they're going to sweep uh, the Diamondbacks because you're not getting the division at this point. Please, please, please don't do this. Don't come all the way back after I've basically given up in the middle of July and then hurt me like this. Don't do it. Yeah, the deficit that came back from to get into first in the AL West to now do this, it's insane. And, and I think I saw a stat that if the Astros go like three and two the rest of the way, the Mariners have to go five and one or something like that. So yeah. it's uh, do or die right now. But um, yeah. yeah, wanted to get into the college football weekend that we just had. Um, starting off with Colorado and Oregon. We saw so much smack talk heading into the weekend, and Oregon released an awesome video yesterday showing basically Oregon's behind the scenes. Colorado was, you know, walking all over the O. They were talking smack to Oregon the entire time, but Oregon was dialed in. You know, the talk is for Hollywood, basically, is what the coach was saying, and, and we're going to talk with our pads. So what mm -hmm. did you guys see in that Oregon game? Yeah, what, what I saw was um, a team that is better on three sides of the ball. They're better special teams. They're better offensively. They're better defensively. Uh, Dion, I'm not going to downplay what Dion's done. He's taken a team that won one game last year. He's already won three. Their over-under was three and a half. I do think they're going to be right around bowl eligible. I think they will be a bowl eligible team. But it's a lot easier right now to build through the transfer portal in your skill position. It's not that easy to build through the transfer portal in the offensive line room and in the defensive line room, specifically the offensive line room, because it takes guys multiple years before they are ready to truly play that offensive line position. You have to be able to, you know, carry a certain weight and you have to be able to move fluidly while you carry that weight. Uh, a lot of these guys, when they come out of high school, you know, either they're 330 pounds, but they're a bad 330 pounds. So they've got fat. And they've got, you know, they're not able to move the way they need to. Or they're 260 pounds and they might have, you know, the body fat percentage that you need, but they're at 260. To play that position, you know, at that level, you got to be 315, 330. And those things take time. It takes offensive linemen two, three years before they are truly ready to go. And I do think that right now he's built 75% of a good football team. He needs those offensive and defensive linemen and that's where you saw Oregon win this football game Oregon was able to get after the passer get after Shadour with three and four guys they finished the day with seven sacks Jordan Birch was an absolute monster dude had two sacks was winning one-on-one -on -one matches all over the place and when you're rushing three to four guys and you can drop seven to eight guys back in coverage you are going to win a lot of football games you don't even have to have a really good defensive secondary which Oregon does have a pretty good one 
if you're dropping seven, eight guys into coverage and you're still getting after the quarterback in three to four seconds, you're going to win a lot of football games. And that's where Oregon took advantage. They knew defensively they could win their one-on-one matchups on the D-line against that offensive line. And then at that point, it was over. There was nothing that Colorado was going to do to work offensively against this Oregon team. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest uh, middle fingers or FUs that uh, Oregon could give was running that fake punt in the first half. Oh, man. I mean, I don't think there's a big, bigger middle finger from coach to coach, sideline to sideline, that you can can make than than running – what was it, on their own 17? On their own 17. Yeah. yeah. It, it was on, on their side of the field, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Bucky Irving did anything he wanted on the ground – um, and we'll hit the nail on the head. I mean, when you look at the trenches, Colorado is nowhere close um, to be sufficiently ready to battle with the big boys. Um, you know, hey, let's not take anything away from what Dion's been able to do. Like, it's it's been a pretty remarkable turnaround from a 1-11 team that was coached under Carl Durrell um, that was just moving in the wrong direction. Um, ignited fire. They've obviously been the most watched team um, I think that's going to taper down here um, if yeah. uh, USC beats the brakes off them this weekend, which, you know, likely is going to happen. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got four four Pac-12 games um, this uh, Saturday. Um, and I don't know if there's a game on Friday night too. Yeah, Utah and Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, so this weekend. And out of the four, it's a combined 78.5 point um uh, margin for the favorites. So, you know, pretty much averaging 20 points per game for the, for the favored team. Um, obviously the Utah and Oregon state game is, is, is going to be close. It's within three and a half, but every, all, th- all other three games are, you know, predicted to be blowouts. Um, but I, I think the national media and a lot of people are going to start to taper off of Colorado. I still think they're a six, maybe ceiling seven, eight win team, mm-hmm. uh, but they just don't have the physicality in the trenches uh, to keep up with these physical hard nosed teams like the Oregon States, the Oregon's, the Washington's um, uh, of the Pac-12 conference. And you know, it's funny, um, you know, Dan Lanning. It was a hell of a, a pregame speech. Let's be honest. It was a perfect was awesome. pregame speech. Perfect. But it's also generating a ton of clicks as well. Mm-hmm. The team that has over a thousand uniform combinations is <laughs> uh, rooted in substance. It's funny to hear, but um, I, I, I do think uh, Oregon, you know, made it made it known. You know, they're one of the top top three teams in the Pac-12 going forward, and you know, it's obviously setting up that collision course in a few weeks here with UW. Right. Well, and, and I want to touch on that punt like you talked about, Dylan. I actually think that's a check with me call. Um, so what you're looking at on that punt and what Casey Rogers, who ended up taking that, that punt, is looking for is they were looking for a certain formation in that punt return by Colorado into the boundary. When you watch the replay, there are three guys on the left side. As soon as the ball is snapped, Colorado has those guys drop into blocking into their blocking spots. So they are not watching to see if the punter punted the ball off at all. So what Oregon had done is they had said, okay, when we're punting into the boundary, when we're punting to this spot, we have seen them drop back into coverage. They're not even going to see Casey. Casey's going to call whatever the fake call is. He's going to take the ball and he's going to go. When you watch that play, 
Casey's got two lead blockers, the other two shield guys in that punt formation. They don't touch a guy until seven yards downfield. At that point, he already has the first down. So that's Oregon's coaches going in and out coaching Colorado's guys and saying, hey, we know that they like to drop back. They want to set up a return. They're not a punt block team. When we get them into this formation in this spot, we can do this play. Casey does it. He goes out, gets the first down. They drive down, they score, and effectively they end the game at that point because that's still the first quarter. Yeah. It's 13 to zero. So that's just out scheming and then out executing at a point of attack by Oregon. The other big thing that I think we all need to look at is Oregon had three rushers individually that outgained Colorado's rushing attack as a whole. Colorado had 40 yards. No Whittington, who left the game hurt, had 45. James had over 50, and Bucky had 84. You were running the ball down Colorado's throat. And I love it in the video that Oregon released. They've got Shiloh Sanders being like, you guys are little, you guys are small. And then Why Bucky are you so little? <laughs> right. And Shiloh's a good player. He's a good, good player. quality defensive back. Very, very good. But, you know, this is what Colorado does. They try to fire themselves up. They build themselves up in this way. They're a type of team and a bunch of players where they have to talk a bunch of trash to get themselves ready yeah. to go. This Oregon team seemed to be like that slow simmer. Hey, we're going to let it build. You want to trash our O, we don't care. You're going to yell. And then they kept doing that talk with our pads, talk with our pads, talk with our pads. It was it couldn't have been a more perfect pregame speech. Yeah. Dan Lanning had me ready to run through a wall. And I get it. You know, it's a little bit funny that they've got all the different uniform combinations. I think they were wearing the, the cleats that it changed based on the body. Yeah, temperature. yeah that was cool. Right. <laughs> it's a little bit ironic. But at the same time, like that's not stuff that Dan Lanning introduced. That's yeah, stuff that Chip Kelly and Bilotti introduced. And he very much seems much more old school. Also, it's just a great line. Like they play for kids, we play for wins. Yeah. I loved every part of it. Yeah, the first they, yeah. It, yeah, first time hearing it, I, I listened to it three straight times. And it's like it's a it's a great line that Johnny Knoxville always said. It's like in terms of uh, uh Colorado here. You're letting that bulldog mouth get in front of that puppy dog bite. And uh, <laughs> that's what we saw um, over the weekend. So, um, you know, also, you know, when it in, in terms of from a kook side of things and, you know, watching what Cameron Ward's done this year and for all the media exposure to just be all over Colorado and Shadur Sanders, it's just been tiring for certain fan bases. Oh, for um, sure. In the Pac-12, I'm, I'm sure it's same, you know, same thing with Oregon as well before this game, mm -hmm. yeah. um, this past week. So, um, Travis Hunter was not going to make a difference. We knew that from. It's the, not a 35 point yeah. liver. I don't care what Josina Anderson says on Twitter. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was something along the lines of, "What would he have said if Travis Hunter was in?" It's like probably the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I saw Travis Hunter was uh, texting with with Dion saying, "I am playing this week," and Dion said, "No, your future is brighter than mine. Like you need to get healthy." Hey, you so. know what, Dion? And here, here's where I'm going to give credit to Dion. And I get it; it's annoying. It's all you've seen, but at the same time, he's clearly drummed up the attention that he deserved. Right? Like, if you are going out, it doesn't matter if you are, you know, at the end of the day, a six-win team or a ten-win team. Dion has driven eyeballs to him, whether that's love watching it or hate watching it. The biggest game, the most watched football game nationally was that Oregon-Colorado blowout. That beat Oregon State-Washington State. That beat uh, Florida State-Clemson. That beat Notre Dame-Ohio State in prime time. 
right? So whatever Dion is doing, it is working. And he is getting good recruits. Don't get, don't get me twisted here. He has great recruits. And I do think that they coach them fairly well. If I'm a high school kid or if I'm a kid going into the transfer portal, yes, I want to go play with Dion. I'm going to get coached by a, a head coach that's a Hall of Famer. He's brought in T.O. to help out with wide receivers, and he's going to bring in Warren Sapp to help out with D linemen. You can't tell me that he's not going to bring in more Hall of Famers to coach in different spots. I want to learn from those guys. Those are the guys I want to be around. The attention, the atmosphere. Guys are going crazy. You've got the rock partying with you. You've got Lil Wayne doing a concert. Those are big deals to recruits, and they're going to want to see that. But also, when you look at what Oregon did, Oregon landed a five-star defensive end commitment at that game. Oregon brought in more four- and five-star recruits to that football game than they have in any other recruiting weekend this year for game visits. That's huge. That's Oregon understanding, hey, this is an extra moment. This is an extra opportunity to get to have our guys bring in big name recruits, show them what kind of atmosphere Austin can have, show them what it's like to play big name football, and then to capitalize and beat the brakes off of Colorado and do it in a way that was physical and aggressive and it wasn't a fluke. You play that game 10 times out of 10, they win that football game. And to do that with all those recruits there, you can't tell me that's not going to build up the recruits and bring in more five and four stars. You can't tell me that when five and four star recruits see Dan Lanning going out there saying, we're going to talk with our pads. We're going to fight you that type of pregame speech that brings me in and makes me want to play for him. So at the end of the day, I do know that this was a loss for Colorado, but I think in a way it's a moral victory because you are going to bring in big name recruits and they're going to want to come and play for coach prime. But for Oregon, it's a win in two different fields. You won on the field, you won this year, but you also won some future battles where guys are seeing, Hey, that Oregon team, they can play, and I want to go play for Coach Lane. A couple notes. Uh, I mean, that media, that that video, they had that out in like a day. They came into that weekend prepared, ready to go. They're like, we're going to make a movie out of this thing, and that was that was Colorado players went directly into Oregon's video crew. It wasn't like they were just saying it. They were directly going into Oregon's video crew. Oregon didn't have to do anything. They just pressed play, <laughs> record, and there it was. Um, it was beautiful. And, you know, like, uh, honestly, too, in, in terms of Dion, um, you know, it's like, okay, hey, is a lot of people are questioning his his coaching. I mean, he's got the number one five star uh, recruit, Cormani McLean, um, mm -hmm. and you know, he hasn't touched the field because Dion said that he's just you know not able to get himself on the field. And he had the quote, "Hey, study. You know, what what are the things that Cormani needs to do to get on the field?" study and prepare, be on time for meetings, show up to the damn meetings. So is there a lot of accountability also, though, with Dion? You've got players not showing up to meetings? I mean, Man. that's what that quote tells me. They're not playing. Yeah. Seems like accountability to me. You know, like Travis Hunter, he's the number one athlete. When he came in, he's getting to play all these positions. From everything that I hear about him, you know, he's at every meeting. He's working his butt off. I, I do think – I think it's different. I think what you're going to see out of Dion is much more what a player-led coach would be, but to the umpth degree, right? Um, I want it to work. I think Dion and Dion being successful is the best thing for college football because he brings in the casual eyes. He brings in, you know, your sister, your mom, your girlfriend, you know, the girl at Starbucks. 
they start paying attention to Colorado because they hear all this stuff about Dion primetime. I usually judge if a story's a big deal based on if my grandma texts me about it. This weekend, <laughs> I got two texts from my grandma. One, man, Oregon kicked the crap out of Dion. I didn't see that coming. Two, did you see Taylor Swift at the Kansas City Chiefs game? So, you know, when, when you see those types of texts and they're coming from people who aren't big name fans, they're not, you know, diehard football people, that's a good thing for sports. And I think that's what Dion brings. I, I, you know what? I do think he's a good coach. I really do. I think he's smart and I think he's calculated. Time is going to tell. But if he's there at Colorado for three, four years, I do agree with him. This is the time to get him now. Because once he starts getting those offensive linemen and you start mixing them with the recruits that he's getting, he, it wasn't a fluke he got Travis Hunter. Uh, I mean, you can't really say it was a fluke that he got his kids, but it's not a fluke that he got that Weaver kid. You know, I think he could build something. It's just, will he stay there long enough? Real quick on that Kelsey Swift story. Have your girlfriends <laughs> played a prank on you in the past day? Because my wife, she set up a camera and recorded me. And she was like, oh, I think it's so cool how Taylor Swift is going to like make you know, Kelsey like a big name. I'm like, what? Like, what? He, he is a big name. And she's like, no, like no one knows about him. And like, you know, Taylor Swift is finally getting all these eyes on him. And like, he's going to be like a Hall of Fame tight end. What are you talking about? And it's going all over TikTok. I don't know if your your uh, significant My other has done it yet. Taylor Swift. Can't stand okay. it. Won't listen <laughs> My wife watches yeah, the concerts and they're both, night, they're both birds fans too. I mean, Taylor Swift's an Eagles fan as well as my girl. Oh yeah. I, I mean, Travis <laughs> Kelsey's top four tight ends all time. Worst case scenario. Right. Right. Um, I think there's a chance he's when it's all said and done, you could say he's the best tight end ever. I could make the argument that Travis is a bigger deal than Taylor Swift. I mean, is Taylor Swift top four <laughs> singers of all time? She's selling also, out every stadium and all that, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> is, she, is she better than Michael? Is she better? Is she better than Prince? Oh, no. Like these, these are questions that as football fans, we have to ask if we're going to defend our sacred game. Also without football, does Taylor Swift even have these concerts, right? You got to ask yourself, where does she hold these concerts to be able to sell out all these record number of attendance and to get all this money to bring in? Does she go to baseball stadiums? No. Does she go to basketball arenas? No. She goes to football stadiums. So without football, <laughs> would Taylor really be as big as she is? These are the hard-hitting question, boys, that we need to there find you answers go. to. You got them. <laughs> <laughs> A couple <laughs> other. And my wife just commented saying, LOL. Um, a couple, <laughs> more, couple more stats on the Oregon before we get into the uh, no watches bowl uh, in just a second. Um, so Oregon had 35 minutes of possession over Colorado's 25. They had 522 total yards over Colorado's 199. What's surprising is that Colorado didn't have any turnovers. You know, even with all that pressure, yeah. they managed to not turn the ball over. Oregon had Shadur, first downs to uh, Colorado's 13. Yeah, and Shadur's been hit already over 50 times this season. It's 60 times. It's, yeah. 60. it's yeah. insane. I, I'm going to be surprised if he makes it to week 10. Um, at this rate with the, the, the schedule getting much tougher. And um, to me, Pac-12 is the, the top conference, the irony in it this year. Oh, it's um, not close. Right. It's not close right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, it just was a, uh, a, a beatdown. 
And then getting into, uh, so before the Washington State, Oregon State game, uh, they were talking on game day and Lee Corso mentioned or called instead of the, you know, the civil cup, he called it the no one watches bowl, or it might've been the no one wants us bowl, which either way. Obviously Lee is, you know, getting to that point where he shouldn't be on TV anymore. Uh, You know, it's, it's obviously nostalgic. Everybody grew up with Lee Corso picking the headgear. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, Jake Dickert was not there to criticize Lee Corso. It was an overall arching point in terms of we are done being a punchline joke of the national media on a network that effectively killed the Pac-12. Let's be real here. Throwing out $2.5 million signing bonuses to Colorado. um, You know, so... It's just more so of, of, of Dickert, um, you know, letting everyone know that, hey, we're not going to be a punchline, um, you know, here anymore. And, you know, Wazoo Jobu, um, one of my good buddies and a great follow on Twitter if you're a Coog, um, you know, I'm just going to quote him. Dickert's comments are simple. He's tired of the bullshit. He's tired of the media punchline jokes. And then they turn around and try and act all sympathetic. Corso is just an old man who has no idea what he's reading, but some producer from ESPN wrote that to be funny and it wasn't, you know, so I I wholeheartedly agree there. And then what's even more perplexing about it is that Herb Street goes on and quote tweets, Ryan Leaf, legendary um, Washington state quarterback. Many people don't know Ryan Leaf there because of of Washington state. Many know him as, you know, maybe one of the biggest busts in NFL history as, you know, he's drafted uh, by the chargers and and flamed out and had quite a bit of a, a a myriad of a career of of downfall and and addiction and and has since um, beat that and and come clean Um, uh, where essentially Herb street uh, couldn't believe that Ryan leaf was, was angry about what had happened while Ryan Day, let's fast forward um, <laughs> from Lou Holtz earlier in the day on Pat McAfee's show saying that Ohio State doesn't win the big games because they're not tough in terms of beating the Alabamas, the Georgias. But Herb Street can go on and be a homer who went to Ohio State and retweet what somebody asked about what he thought Ryan Day's um interview was he said he loved it he loved the fire obviously i'm paraphrasing it's like dude are you kidding me right now like you're saying one thing here and you're going against and and being a complete hypocrite when it comes to your own school so i think that's just kind of what uh dicker and and pretty much everybody at wazoo is just over with it's like don't we're not the punchline and then don't come over and be all sympathetic with us afterwards. Right. Well, I, I think um, at the end of his, you know, his Sunday, he'll, he'll do his top 10 coaches, his yep. top 10 players, top five, Jake Dicker, number one player was a half between Cam Ward and Josh Kelly. You know, it's, it, it, it was irritating to say the least. Well, I, I think all he was trying to do there is course was his boy. So he's going to protect his boy. And yeah. then, Obviously, Holtz is not his boy, so he's, and it's his team. 
Uh, I love that Dickert went after uh, Lee Corso. I think it's funny when college coaches attack old men and old college coaches. Like the idea that Ryan Day like went into the game being like, I can't wait till we win so that I can make fun of Lee Corso. Like that's objectively hilarious. <laughs> and I get why Cougars fans are pissed at Lee Corso. It was, it was a BS shot that he took. Um, I totally think he Ron Burgundy'd it. It's, this is what the producer said. I, this is what I need to say. And it was trying to be a joke and it didn't land. And I think, again, it's objectively hilarious. And I love that Dickert's doing it. If I was a big Coug fan, that's what I'd want my coach to do. I want my coach to be slightly unhinged to the point where he sees Lee Corso's old butt get wheeled onto the stage and go, oh, no one's watching. And then have him be like, oh, I can't wait till I get to make fun of him. And I can tell him that he's wrong. Like, I, I love it. But it's also like, this is Jake Dickert. I'll tell you what, when, when I look at these two teams between OSU and WSU, the guys that are leading them are the coaches that I'd want leading them. Jonathan Smith and Jake Dickert clearly understand what it's like to go to that type of school. Obviously, Smith went to Oregon State, but they understand what it's like to be the little dog. They understand how to fight, scratch, and claw to get to where they want to be. They understand that most of the guys that they bring in are two stars, three stars. Most of them not even have any stars when they come in. They're no-name guys. And you build with that chip on your shoulder and you overachieve. You do more than what you're supposed to do. In that game, the guy who had no stars at quarterback outperformed the dude who was a five-star quarterback. Yeah. And that's and getting just, the most out of your players. And just to kind of harp on that, he was not going at Lee Corso. He was going at ESPN because in the second right. part of um, his quote, he goes, it's well-documented what ESPN has done to try and get our league into where it's at. And then, you know, obviously followed up, you'd love to have a conversation, um, you know, with with Coach Corso and ESPN about, hey, the mental effects of traveling, regional sports, rivalry, right. leaving, the whole nine yards there. But, you know, honestly, I, I'm not here to really talk about Jake Dicker and Lee Corso and their little Twitter beef. Um, you know, I, I want to get into what happened on the field you know, with, with the Pac-2 championship, Oregon State, and, and WSU. Um, and WSU came out firing. I mean, a Absolutely. second play of the game, hitting Kyle Williams, um, you know, down the seam, wide open. I mean, WSU set the tone right away um, in terms of, you know, being able to come out and, and show the entire country, hey, we're here, we're real, we're a Pac-12 contender this year. Um, and, you know, when you kind of take a look at the box store, Cam Ward instantly put himself into number four, number five in terms of Heisman, Candace, and mm -hmm. our top five Heisman ranks right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 28 for 34, 404 yards, four touchdowns. Um, you know, he, he I think ran for one. Um, I'm not positive on that. Yes, he did. He did run for one touchdown. It uh, The Cougs. Uh, took a page out of the Phillies playbook on the fourth and one. Uh, I don't know what Philadelphia calls that goal line unstoppable play. Push, push. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it may be. But you know what? Good on Ben Arbuckle, who's showing um, the entire country that he's probably going to be in Pullman for one season, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> this guy has really just expedited the play calling, 
Um, and, and the ability for Cam Ward to get more downfield shots. That was the biggest issue with WSU last year. They could not, um, you know, obviously uh, protect him. Their protection was awful last season. They just did not have enough time in terms of the O-line. And it goes back to Clay McGuire now here in year two in his second stint at Washington State. Obviously, Coach Leach brought him in initially. Um, and he did me. Really? Yes. Yep. He was the offensive line coach when I was getting recruited. Yeah. That, that, Hey, you know, that's, 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 that's a quite the cupcake right there. Um, <laughs> and, and obviously, hey, brought in um, Andre Dillard and Abraham Lucas to NFL starting linemen. You know, eight Lucas obviously is a phenomenal lineman um, in terms of uh, what he's doing for the Seahawks, but it's just been a remarkable turnaround with the O-line play mixed in with the play calling of Arbuckle, obviously we do have a weakness in terms of running the football. It's not something that we're going to hang our hat on. WSU is going to spread the ball out. It's 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 completely different from what Oregon, Oregon State are going to do in terms of, hey, two, three tight end sets. We're going to run the ball down your, your throat. WSU is going to spread it out. And I thought the play calling early on, first play of the game was a direct quarterback um, snap um run play for cam ward that picked up a first down and then boom took the shot down the field of kyle williams um backup quarterback john mateer aka john tebow mateer um has some 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 plays to packages in terms of where he's running the football haven't seen him throw yet um but yeah i mean it was just a wonderful game plan from from washington state the the biggest key for them is you know obviously they they run a five uh, you know five back in terms of the secondary uh, in corners and, and safeties. Will you can probably help me out with the defensive. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a four two five. Four two five. Um, so I sound like a football noob over here, but um, <laughs> you're all right. You know, you're all right. Having George Hick, um, Smith Wade in the back, and then you have your two defensive end anchors and Ron Stone and Brennan Jackson. If they can keep those guys healthy, um, they do have a legit shot at possibly going into the Apple Cup um, with a shot at, you know, hey, if you win, you're in the Pac-12 championship. You know, they miss out on Utah and USC this year, but they get Oregon and uh, UW on the road. Um, so, you know, obviously, hey, You've got a bye week, and then you're going to go into UCLA. There's even a chance just with some of the matchups in the top 25 this week that Wazoo, um, you know, could go from 16 to possibly 13 or 14 without playing a game, um, and they'll have their first true test on the road against UCLA, a team that can play some defense but offensively mm -hmm. is, is struggling extremely um, to move the football. We saw that last week in Utah, you know, a very tough place for a, a freshman quarterback to go in and win. Mm -hmm. They lost 14, seven. So, you know, we'll see how that, how that finishes out. But, um, you know, one other last stat I wanted to throw out there, um, via, um, pack 10 read a, a, a good follow on Twitter. This is from better rank football stats. And he said the early key to the Pac-12, can anyone defend the pass? Here's the defensive pass rank per Betty rank football in 2023 and 2022 among the contenders. Um, number six in pass defense this year is Utah. Last year they were 47. UCLA comes in at 15. Last year they were 90. And then 
these are the next two key pieces. Oregon this year, 24, last year, 71. Wazoo this year, 26, last year, 30. Um, so obviously Oregon and, and, and Washington State have shown that they can defend the pass. And obviously you're going to have to with how UW looks this season offensively. Yeah, I'm making me, a, I, yeah. I think uh, the big growth, the two big growths that I've seen out of Wazoo is defensively, I feel like they're flying around. Um, you know, that was the one big attack in the Mike Leach era is, hey, your offense is great. You pass the ball, you got the air raid, but can you stop anybody? That's something that it seems like Coach Dickert has uh, changed at the very minimum. They are opportunistic. Uh, you know, they're, they're turning over Oregon State. They were turning over Wisconsin. But I, I think the biggest growth and the biggest change that you saw is the efficiency in Cam Ward. Last year at Cam Ward, there were multiple times where you'd see flashes of, wow, this kid can make some incredible plays. He can make most of the throws. He has the ability to run. Once you get that quarterback in the plus one run game, it really affects how defenses are able, one, how they, it affects them fitting their gaps and uh, whether they want to blitz a quarterback, try and add some extra pressure, or if they want to play straight up. But it also means that teams now have to have someone that accounts for Ward. As a defensive end, you can't rush as hard upfield because if you rush hard upfield, Ward can sneak underneath you, and now he's out in open space. He can make his own decision. And you're probably going to have to have someone that spies your QB. That means that's one less person that's able to drop back in pass coverage. So that is huge with his ability to throw and throw on the run, but his ability to start making plays from in the pocket, and when he has the deep shot, it's obvious he can make all the throws. He's going out there and taking it, but he's also not forcing anything, right? That Oregon State defense is a pretty darn good defense, and he put up 38 against them, right? And I know it's not all just himself, but the efficiency to go from someone who is, you know, completing around 55% of his passes to now you're over 60 this year. That is huge, and that's huge on why Wazoo's probably taken over what people thought Oregon State was going to be this year, where they're going to play spoiler, and if a couple bounces go their way in a couple key games, they might find themselves into a Pac-12 championship. Now, I do feel for them, the two best teams that I think are in the Pac-12, you do have to play them, and you have to play them on the road. I really do think Oregon and UW are better than USC. Uh, Utah, jury's still out because you haven't seen Cam Rising yet. If Cam Rising comes back, that's where I start to get nervous because it's obvious that this defense is top tier. Right now, you're winning games. You want a game against a quality UCLA team with your fourth-string quarterback and a quarterback who hasn't shown that he can really throw right now. Right. And Nate Johnson, he's just shown that he's been able to make plays with his feet and you've been able to pound teams into the dirt and win those games. So when Cam Rising comes back, what are we going to see from this Utah team? But then USC, as good as they are offensively, USC struggles defensively. They don't stop anybody. Right. When you went into this year, you looked at the top three to four teams from last year. You look at Utah. It's, hey, when do you get Rising back and can you hold off until can you hold off that loss until Rising gets back? With USC, UW, and Oregon, which were the top teams last year, right, you thought about can their defense improve? Oregon and UW's defense improved. USC's didn't. At least I don't feel like they did. They They're can still, rush the passer. That's the only thing that they can and, hang their hat on, really. And they rely, they rely on turnovers. They rely too much on turnovers, in my opinion. So it is going to be tough for Wazoo. That being said, if you make a play here, you make a play there, why can't you win one of these games against UW? Why couldn't you win one of these games against Oregon? If you do that, 
I think you have a legitimate fighting chance to make it into the Pac-12 championship. It's just going to be, can you make sure that you never stub your toe? You can't have any bad losses. There's no Justin Herbert going on the road, losing to Arizona State this year. You can't have that. And then can you steal one that you shouldn't win? Can you go into Autzen and can you turn over Bo Nix, something that he's only done once? Can you stop that rushing attack? Can you go into Seattle in the Apple Cup? Can you slow down any of those three receivers? Can you slow down Odunze? Can you slow down Polk? Can you they slow were down Nick Miller? Step for step in the first half of the Apple Cup last year. Right. Unfortunately, I was in London. Um, it was 3 a.m. when the game stopped, uh, started, and I watched the entire first half and woke up and obviously saw the score and was like, what the hell happened? But let's take a quick look at Wazoo's schedule as, as, as we're talking. Um, you know, hey, bye week, go in. Your first road game at UCLA, that's a winnable game. It is also a losable game. But you come back, you get Arizona at home, and let me tell you, Washington State has owned the Wildcats in football for the last eight years. It's ugly. It's ugly. Um, And then you get at Oregon. Um, But then you have four games sandwiched between, you know, before that Apple Cup game, and – at Arizona State, you're home for Stanford. You're at Cal. Things can get wonky at Cal. Cal's always a weird game. Um, right. and then you're, you're home serving against the Buffs the week before the Apple Cup. So, you know, we had a commenter here. I've, I've seen him on Twitter quite often, Fraternal Cloud, um, you know, say, hey, you know, if we can beat UCLA, 10-2 and two is attainable. Um, and, and no doubt about it. Um, I think it should be the bare minimum, to be honest yeah, with you. Right absolutely. Now. Like, bare minimum. I think that's the floor. You you should beat UCLA. Now, Dante Moore, he's no slouch. He's young. But there's a reason he's a five-star. There's a reason he was one of, if not the top quarterback. In mo- you know, when you look at the different rankings, everyone has a different top QB. He was up there. Um, so you got to be wary of that. But when you look at between UW, Oregon, Utah, and USC, and Wazoo, Wazoo has the easiest schedule. You don't have to play USC. You don't have to play Utah. Now, your two next toughest games, they are on the road. But if you can knock off one of those teams, the way the Pac-12 is set up, the fact that Oregon still has to play UW, Oregon State, USC, and I believe Utah. I believe USC and, uh, and Utah and UW and Oregon. I think all four of those teams all play each other. Who's to say that you can't end up going into that Apple Cup at, you know, nine and one or ten and one, whatever, whatever it is, and everyone else has two losses? It's all out there in front of you. You just got to take care of business. I just had someone text me saying that everybody's, um, you know, obviously handled Arizona this year, but last uh, two of the last three matchups: sixty-nine twenty-eight, forty-four eighteen. 3120. I mean, that's ownage. Needs it needs to look a certain way. Don't let any of these teams hang around with you because that's when weird stuff happens. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, Will Connor, the biggest thing over the last five years, um, where the Pac-12 has just shot itself in the foot in terms of making the final four is the cannibalization of the mm-hmm. conference. For sure. um, you know, and I think that's what got lost in translation over these years of Everybody, this East Coast SEC bias where, oh, we've got three two-loss teams in the Pac-12. 
Well, did it ever occur to you that the bottom of the Pac-12 was much stronger than the bottom of the barrel in the SEC and the Big Ten? I mean, you've got Rutgers over here that's in one of the most major markets that's hardly pulling any viewership, and they are just getting bags written to them via check, um, you know, moving forward. And I think that's where um, a lot of Wazoo fans – um, you know, have, have a bit of an issue in terms of the whole realignment side of things. But there's obviously been some some more things coming out this week um, in terms of what ships and in leverage that WSU and, and obviously Oregon State can hold going into that. But, um, you know, I don't know if you guys got a chance to, you know, take a look at, you know, what Oregon State published today, their, their president, in terms of they expect next year to – lose 44% of their total revenue. Um, so it, it's a sobering read um, in, in, in that capacity um, in terms of what, you know, the pack two are left with here. Um, but, you know, hey, did I see that there's potentially like $160 million that Oregon state and Washington state would be in control of if they, I, I don't know if they're going to see that money. Um, it's, it's obviously a lot is going to go down in court, but in terms of, uh, essentially what uh, was being said on Twitter was they retain their their autonomous five rights where that college football money of the, the final 12 in 2024 and 2025 is going to be spread out um, to the, you know, the, the power five. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to say the least, um, but you know, Wazoo and and Oregon State can can try and keep this this Pac-12 brand and and see if if that may fall like that. Um, but the the hope is, hey, Kirk Schultz has a seat on the college football playoff board, and their votes have to be unanimous. What do you think he's going to vote? I don't <laughs> think. I say nay. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think there's I think there's a path here. WSU and there OSU is. just have to be clear. It's still think, a little dusty. We got to break the brooms out and start clearing that path a little bit more. But um, obviously, you know, they're fighting for for every inch, um, and you're you're truly fighting, um, you know, for your your program's life. Um, you know, yeah. in, in terms of, you know, it's just a real ex- existential threat to to WSU athletics. Um, you know, that extends to the campus at large. Um, you know, forget a moment about competing at the highest level there, you know, there's big payments that need to be made on facilities. Where does that money come from? It's certainly not coming from the mountain West at $6 million a year. Um, you know, student fees, you know, at a school where, um, you know, uh, student acceptance is, is, is falling, um, or enrollment, I should say, um, state legislator bailout, that's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, this is a big, big darn deal. Um, in, in terms of what's going on with the uni- university, and, it, and it's a, it's a it's a darn shame that Oregon State and Washington State and their 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 um, their sisters, in terms of uh, Oregon and, and UW, you know, obviously made the decision that they they had to make. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and um, yeah, I mean, if you know their their matchup this past week was insanely close um i think it was 38 35 was the final they- yeah um and and I, that that score doesn't really represent um the entire we tried to we tried to cue it we we didn't quite get there but yeah you know that you, did, you remembered how to throw 
Connor, Connor, I don't want you to ever say Coog did again. We try to take that out of our vocabulary completely as Cougs. I just um, tend to no lead into C, stuff no like that C a little words. bit. but We can't have the C word flying around. There yeah. are children watching. Obviously, um, you know, my – my butt cheeks got a little tight on that last uh, onside kick because for about I've become a little years, numb throughout the years. So, I mean, but, <laughs> but uh, overall WSU dominated a lot of that game in terms of facets, you know, D DJ had really no time when he went to throw the football to, to get anything downfield. Um, it's not, I, will help me out with uh, Martinez's um, running mate there. He uh, had a Fenwick. Yeah, I mean, those are a – that's a dynamic duo that Oregon they're State huge. has on the bench. Oh, they're ridiculous. I mean, they're, would you say they're the best running back duo in the conference? Oh, yeah. I, I would say they've got – It's by a decent margin, best. right? I, uh, not by a decent margin. I really like uh, – I like Bucky and Noah uh, Whittington out at Oregon. I still think Martinez and Fenwick are the best. I'd make the argument they've got an outside shot at being the best running back duo in the country. I, re I really do think that highly of them. They're fast, they're big, and they're strong, and it's really hard to get shoelace tackles to get them down. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, it was an impressive win um, on both sides, Oregon and Washington State this week, um, handling business. And, you know, uh, I, Will, I don't know if you are able to throw out maybe a, a four-week initial off the top of your mind, uh, brain um uh power ranking in terms of where we see one through 12 um i know mine i'll get while i go here i'll give you a, you know maybe a, a couple seconds sure. to think about yeah, it but i got you dub unfortunately number one um what they're yep, able to we are the same defensively um number two uh it's 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 tough after that arizona state game i i just don't think i can put usc number two um I would go Oregon, and then I'm putting Washington State at three in front of USC right now. Maybe a 3A, 3B thing. Um, Utah currently number you know four or five just because they don't have rising. Um, and then you know kind of finish out with Oregon State. Um, I, you know I would say you would have. Uh, Colorado, you know, obviously somewhere in the mix there too. Uh, uh, UCLA before Colorado, and then we'll finish out with, um, uh, you know, Cal um, and um, Stanford, Arizona, and then Pound mm, Hoop, and you've got Arizona, or sorry, Stanford, and um, uh, gosh, who's the worst team in the pack? Arizona State. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, for me, our, our top doesn't look very different. Uh, UW's number one. Um, I, I, I've said it before um, in a couple different spots, but I really do think that they have a shot at winning the whole dang thing. I think they're that good. I think they've made the improvements they need to make on defense. And then those three receivers mixed with Penix, I, I don't know how you stop them. You, you know, McMillan didn't play. He's only played three games. He has 300 yards. Odunze is second i believe in the nation right now yep he's got That's 540 and then uh polk's 13th i think in the nation and yep. he's at 400. so basically they are averaging 100 yards a game plus at each wide receiver position and a touchdown each game and you have to factor in most of the time in these games because they haven't played anybody to be fair they haven't played anybody big 
but those guys are only playing three quarters a game. Those aren't four quarter games. Those are three quarters uh, and then sitting out largely half of that third quarter and most of that fourth. So that's, that's pretty solid there. I go with Oregon over USC as well. The only reason I do this is because Oregon's defense is better. I believe when Oregon and USC play each other, I think Oregon can get a couple stops. Now, again, USC, they're very opportunistic. So if they can turn over and force fumbles on Bucky and force interceptions on Bo Nix, that might lead to them leapfrogging uh, Oregon. But I think at the end of the day, USC's defense relies too much on turnovers and not caring if they give up a bunch of points because they know that Caleb Williams on the other side is the best you know, college football player in the country right now. And they can just rely on him and his offense. So I would go Oregon. Then I'd go, uh, I'd go uh, USC at three. For me, this is where the wild card goes. I'm going to go with Utah strictly because I think when rising comes back, if he is, you know, what he used to be and what he was before the injury. And that's a big if, and I can see your smile, Dylan. It's a big if, but he's given the benefit of the doubt they would then be in that position. Honestly, I might make the argument that they would actually be two or three with the way that their defense has played because their defense has had to have been lights out. And you haven't played schlubs. Florida's around a top 25 team. Baylor isn't as good as you thought, but you went on the road and you beat them. You beat UCLA. And you won those games with your defense and with a fourth-string quarterback. So what can you do when you get your number one uh, there? Then I'm going to go Wazoo. Obviously, um, they have the biggest improvement that I saw this season, right? Like when I looked at Oregon State, it was like, well, if they can get the quarterback play to be okay, they're going to be good. You can see it in that WSU game. DJU was not ready for prime time, and Washington State's defense has vastly improved. I also think they have the easiest schedule. So when you look at the schedules remaining forward, it wouldn't shock me if WSU ends the year fourth or third, you know, in the conference, or shoot, maybe second or first. You never know because you're going to have a favorable schedule. Uh, I'd put them there. Then I'm putting Oregon State. Um, and then as it goes, UCLA, Colorado, uh, probably go Arizona, Cal, Arizona State. And then, look, Stanford, you lost to a FCS school. You have to be worse. I just have a couple comments on uh, the past games. So I was watching the USC-Arizona State game, and it was way closer than I thought it would be mm-hmm. at, at one point. I'm curious on your guys' thoughts with that. And then also UCLA, Utah, Utah only won by one touchdown. And the first play of the game for UCLA was a pick six. Pick six. Yeah. Was that, yep. was that really what I, I didn't realize it was a fourth string quarterback for Utah. Was that the reason why things were so close or. Yeah. Well, so first of all, Utah plays a brand of football that is naturally going to bleed and breed close games. Right, Their whole idea is we are going to beat you down with our defense and we're going to out-physical you and that's going to slow you down. And then offensively, we are going to run the football. We're going to have big offensive linemen and we're going to run the ball. Um, When they've had Cam rising in, you've seen them be a little bit more prolific in the pass game, Um, but they're never going to be a top offensive team in the conference. And they know that. They're built on – it's kind of like the old school Pistons in the 90s. of We don't have more superstars than you. So we're just going to out-physical you. We're going to be meaner. We're going to be tougher. We're going to beat you up. Uh, with the fourth-string quarterback, Nate Johnson, look, the kid is young. He's so, so young. And he's it's different than Dante Moore. Um, it's different, uh, you know, than some of these other guys. Like if Oregon State went to Aiden Childs, 
or uh, if Oregon had to play Novasad, it's different because he isn't a four or five star kid. He's a lower rated kid that is very, very raw. Now he has a lot of athletic ability that's going to allow him to move around. And that's why they've gone to him in the past couple games, because athletically he gives you an opportunity to win football games with his legs that his arm doesn't give you that opportunity to win yet. Same thing with his brain. There are times where he's a, he's a second too slow and the defender is able to get back and cover an open man, or he throws the ball away when, Hey, you know what? Why don't you take a shot? It's third and long. Let's go after that player. Right? So once they do get rising, how much does that bring up your football team? That's uh, something to be aware of there. And then what was your other question? I got going on Utah and uh, USC, Arizona state. That game was really close for a minute. That's the Lincoln Riley special. They like to sleepwalk and play down to teams uh, when they think it should be an easy win. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I just think USC's defense um, is going to catch up with them against a school that we're not going to expect them to lose to. Um, You know, so – and that's always been a downfall. And you you take a look at the defensive coordinator over there, major coup roots, Alex Grinch, obviously – um, you know, was one of Leach's big-time defensive coordinators. And he did a good job in terms of swarming. And his whole defense is predicated on takeaways, bend, don't break um, type aspect. And, you know, parlayed that into, uh, you know, the gig at, at uh, Ohio State and, and now here with, with Lincoln. But, um, you know, when you take a look at Caleb Williams – we, we also need to to compliment him there. I mean, he he is still the best quarterback in the Pac-12. I think he's better than Penix. He doesn't obviously have uh, the three dynamic weapons, um, and, you know, Dinsey and, and, and obviously the other two up there at, at UW. Mm-hmm. Um, but that man can keep UCL, uh, USC in any game, uh, yep. you know, going forward. So, you know, we're, we're starting to enter the cannibal, cannibalization uh, part mm-hmm. of the conference. Um, and, you know, every week we're going to be getting dynamic matchups uh, between Pac-12 opponents for the last time. Um, so, you know, it's going to be uh, interesting to, to see going forward. But, um, you know, Connor, I, I don't know if you have something you're pivoting to here, but I do have um, some Big 12 TV viewership from last week and just some juicy matchups that everybody wants to see. Of course, we all want to watch – UCF and Kansas State play, um, Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Well, UCF and Kansas State, they produce 0.5, half a million. Um, Oklahoma State and Iowa State, 0.4. And then SMU and TCU with a 0.3. You know, Washington State with a 1.6 with Oregon State had to go up against Ohio State and Notre Dame as well. Um, so, you know, I thought that was a pretty good viewership side for, for Wazoo. And Penn State, Iowa. And yeah. Penn State, yeah. Iowa. You went up against three marquee games. And, and didn't do too bad. I mean, hey, you know, if you yeah. want to watch grass grow and watch Iowa, be my guest. Um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> other than that, it's just you take a look at the Big 12. They're losing Texas. They're losing Oklahoma. They had an awful non-conference stretch. BYU saved them with that win at Arkansas. 
I think there was one more marquee win. Um, but you can't tell me at an Oregon State and WSU is not going to help viewership and help just the overall depth of your conference. I mean, Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas State, Cincinnati. I mean, it's just whoo, it's whoo. <laughs> stinky. I I'm definitely interested too, like because the whole idea is like if Oregon State and Washington State they win. Uh, their lawsuit. There's a rumor that they'll use that to buy themselves in the Big 12. I, I wonder if they're able to do that and they're able to buy their way into the Big 12. If in five, six, seven years, all of a sudden there's another conversation because when you look at the realignment, it's very clearly just made for football, right? It doesn't make that much sense for football, but it's doable. You can fly USC out to Rutgers to play that game if it's only for one Saturday. But when you have to have the conversation of, well, we have to get the softball team out there, the volleyball team, you know, the swim, golf, whatever. I wonder if Oregon State and Washington State, if they can buy their way into the Big 12, does it almost work as a uh, kind of like an extension? You know, when you go to your teacher, hey, I need a weekend extension on this on this paper. And then all of a sudden you get in and Hey, actually, you know what? The paper is not going to be due. We're going to do it uh, a different way because I do think there's going to come a point in time where this realignment doesn't make sense for all the other sports. And so if it doesn't make sense for all the other sports, do you come back? Does it come back to a PAC 12 ACC big 12, big 10 SEC that we kind of know today? Regional. Right. Does it, do we have a course correction? Do we go back to being, um, you know, more the regional? No more in 10 years as well, you know? And right. So, I mean, I, I, I could, I could certainly see that also with UCLA side of things, they've got to also foot the bill for Cal. Um, they're, they're, they're obviously going to be, because they've, they've got this unique UC sister brothership, um, with each other, they got the same fight song. It's weird, mm-hmm. weirdos over there. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I used to be a UCLA guy too. You know, my grandparents both went there, grew up in a UCLA house, and right. I, I hope they go zero and twelve next season. <laughs> I mean, I. It's just I don't know. So I could sit here and talk about realignment all day, but. Honestly, you know, um, you know, it's been it's been nice kind of breaking down. Um, obviously, you know, these past Pac-12 games and and seeing what we have here, you know, upcoming. Real, real quick, number ten Utah at number nineteen Oregon State. Who do you guys have? We'll take it. Wow, this is this is a tough one. Um, if Cam Rising does not come back and play, which right now it seems basically you're never going to know that answer until right up to kickoff. If DJU can be somewhat competent with the football and look like he did weeks one and two as opposed to weeks three and four, I got to say Oregon State simply for the fact of you have a slightly better offense, right? I don't think that – like I think Oregon State has a quality defense. What Wazoo did to Oregon State offensively is very impressive. The, the ability to score and make a lot of big plays, big shots, um, those are things that don't happen a lot to Oregon State. And if Cam Rising doesn't play, this Utah team doesn't have that ability. Now, it's going to be a lot different than most of the other Pac-12 games because Martinez isn't going to average six to seven yards of carry in this game. He's going to get beat up. 
So can you use DJU in the play action pass game to keep, you know, the defense honest? Can you move him out of the pocket and get easy passes for him to find and to find your tight ends, find little short crossing routes for your wide receivers, find your running backs out of the backfield? Because if you can, I do think Oregon State wins this game. Now, I think it's inside of a touchdown. Um, whoever wins, if Cam Rising doesn't play, I am going with Oregon State. And I also think to a degree it's because Oregon State is desperate. If Oregon State loses another game, they're out of the Pac-12 championship, your playoff hopes are dead. Even though you have one loss, if you are Oregon State, with your schedule, if you can run the table, there's a conversation for you to be in the not just the Pac-12 championship, but in a playoff. And those are dreams that they had going into the season, not just playing spoiler for someone down the road. So I think there's a little more desperation, and I think Jonathan Smith gets his crew to go out, and they go out and they win this football game. If Cam Rising comes in, you're going to know in the first quarter who's going to win this football game, and it's all going to be on how well does he push the ball down the field and how well does he move in and out of the pocket. If he moves well in and out of the pocket and he's able to use his legs and he's able to push the ball downfield, I do think Utah wins this game. I think Utah has a real good shot at going for a three-peat. If Cam Rising can't move out of the pocket at all, it's back to my DJU and Oregon State pick. So that matchup, and then we also have USC at Colorado. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hello. I, oh, I got Dylan. a pick on that, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, regardless of what quarterback plays for Utah, I think it's going to be a close, hard-fought win for Oregon State. Um, I just think the the ability to have Martinez and Fenwick in the backfield, their zone uh, running scheme is, you know, those offensive linemen, they – they are fantastic. They've got a great O-line and a great scheme in terms of opening up big holes for that running game. Um, you, know, you know, so I think it's it's going to be within um, a three to six point game, like Will said. Um, and the desperation uh, factor I think plays a lot into it. And also, hey, um, short week, you know, you're playing on Friday as opposed to Saturday. Um, and I guess you kind of give the edge to the home team there um, where, you know, Utah is going to have to to make that travel. It's going to be a different travel day for them, a different travel week. Um, everything might just, you know, is a, a little different in terms of your week of preparation as opposed to your normal Saturday to Saturday. Um, so, you know, I've got the beeves. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near the travel that they'll have to go through when they uh, join the Big 12. But uh, um, <laughs> we also got – USC at Colorado. We'll see if Colorado can bounce back. Um, and then just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, uh, thank you guys for taking the time. Um, I got a player profile on Cameron Ward coming out this Friday. Mm. I'm excited for that one. I made the player profile on Michael Penix because I did a subscriber poll on YouTube and out of respect, you know, he's a great player, great guy, it seems like. But Cameron hey. Ward, he's. Yeah, he's a dark he's a dark horse for the Heisman, man. Uh, You know, I think Cam Ward has made the biggest improvement. Right. And we're going to notice it locally, nationally. They're not going to notice it yet. Uh, Wazoo would have to win another uh, big game before the national media will give him the credit he deserves, unfortunately. Uh, But Michael Penix, I really do think is a dark horse for that for that Heisman. If this UW team keeps doing what they're doing. I know he's got two first-round wide receivers, but, man, that, that dude is fitting every throw. He's been damn near perfect. He had one bad throw against Cal. Um, I, I'm with you. Dude. There's a reason that the YouTube wanted him first. 
that guy is special. Absolutely. And then, you know, with Cameron Ward, that player profile, I'm going to start it off with a bang. Um, Dickert, and there's been some great content that they've put out there, so I'm going to play into the whole underdog thing. But Cameron Ward, I mean, he's third in the nation in passing yards, mm -hmm. 1,390 passing yards. He uh, He's tied with Michael Penix Jr., 74.6% completion rate. He has 13 touchdowns and no interceptions on the year. He's the most underrated quarterback in college football. Yeah, so. and, and I think the national media after Saturday did start, you know, kind of, um, you know, garnering uh, Cameron's name and, and Ward's name. I think Herbie, obviously, with his, um, you know, choices. Um, but, again, obviously, you know, hey, you're East Coast biased. Not a lot of people are going to know who Cam Ward is. So, um, you know, I think another, you know, victory on the road at UCLA and then and then setting up for, uh, you know, the, the, the big game till at Oregon is, is we're going to see a lot. But I'll tell you what, Cam Ward's having a hell of a season, a better season than Bo Nix right now. Um, but Bo hasn't had to do much either in his games, um, Mr. Checkdown. So, um Looking forward to seeing that player profile. Sorry for the little subtle jab there, Will. Oh, no. I, I'm actually, I just work for the Ducks. It's a little different. Um, I, I disagree, but two friends can. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Thank you all for watching, listening. Make sure to like and subscribe to the channel, and we'll see you next Tuesday.